when you stop what you're doing to step into people, please, it's going to harm your performance. And so do it, you know, with boundaries and do it in a scheduled way. I think one of the pitfalls is people feel really busy at work and they feel productive when they people please. But before they know it, they're spending 30 hours a week doing that and 10 hours a week doing real work. And that's where you have to start looking out for that kind of balance shift. Hello, and welcome to Working It from the Financial Times. I'm Isabel Berwick. Most of us are willing to lend a hand when a colleague needs help, to do a bit more when work is busy, to take on extra responsibilities just to be helpful. But some of us, including me, have a problem knowing when to stop. We put more on our plate even when there's plenty there already, and we make our lives harder just to make our bosses or colleagues happy. If that sounds like you, you may be a people pleaser. Should we stop putting others' needs ahead of our own? Or is going the extra mile just a good way to get ahead? To find out, I spoke to Tessa West, a professor of psychology at New York University and an expert in the science of interpersonal communication. I started by asking her, what is people pleasing? I would talk about people pleasers as people who take on visible roles that high power people ask them to do. So someone who's kind of doing something that they maybe don't really see as directly beneficial to them or their career, but someone who has status and power is asking them to do it. And so they say yes. What are the pitfalls of people pleasing specifically for managers or people in positions of power? Are there any pitfalls for them? Because presumably people are just doing stuff for them. One of the major problems with people-pleasing is that when people in power are asking others to do things for them, there's often this kind of false belief that the things they're asking them to do will actually get them into those positions of power themselves. Um, I'm doing some new research now on sort of why people are runners up at work, why they're failing to get promoted into positions of power, and as a result, are leaving organizations, leaving companies. And the number one reason why people are doing this is because they're taking on highly visible roles that managers and senior leaders are asking them to do as favors that they falsely believe will actually help them get into those positions of power themselves. So in the short term, it feels good as a manager to get a yes person around to take on all these roles for you. But insofar as those roles are not actually important for performing on the dimensions people care about for climbing up at work, you're going to end up bleeding a lot of talent pretty quickly. Is it on the part of the people doing the people-pleasing that they think they're going to get promoted? It's never actually made explicit. Yeah, so this is the million-dollar question. Uh, when I talk to managers, when I survey them, they all tell me, oh, I'm super clear about what does and doesn't count for promotion. But when I ask the people themselves who've taken on these roles, was it made clear to you that this role was maybe not as important as you thought it was? 75% of them say, no one ever told me this. It was actually implied that it was a good thing. And I think what we're seeing is a little bit of kind of mixed messages going on. I might not explicitly tell you, hey, if you volunteer for that committee, if you step in and you know help out that last minute team member, it's going to help you get promoted. But I'm really nice when I ask you. Maybe I give you some kind of nonverbal feedback. I'm a little bit more attentive to you in meetings. So there are people actually getting mixed messages. And I think managers are giving off those mixed messages to people that they need to be super aware of. So... I just wanted to talk a little bit about the people pleasers who just don't know how to say no. They're probably doing it to make people like them. Does that work? In the moment, it makes people like you. 
But keep in mind for those people pleasers that most people, when they're asking you to do a favor, they're just looking for someone who can do something for them. We're all kind of like looking to fill that slot, you know, looking to get someone to just take on that additional role. And so in the moment, what you're doing is actually just relieving attention that another person is experiencing, but it's just as effective to give five recommendations of someone else who could do it instead, who might actually benefit. And you're going to be liked just as much if you do that than if you actually volunteer to do the thing. Where do we set the line between being nice and being a people pleaser? Where's the line there? So I think offering to help people, but on your own terms is actually really important. So I wouldn't turn everyone down. I wouldn't turn that boss down, but I would give them timeframes and just be really cognizant of the fact that when you task switch, when you stop what you're doing to step into people, please, it's going to harm your performance. And so doing it urgently as an emergency over and over again is really the least effective way to people, please do it, you know, with boundaries and do it in a scheduled way. And keep track of how much time you're spending doing these types of things versus your actual work. I think one of the pitfalls is people feel really busy at work and they feel productive when they people please. But before they know it, they're spending 30 hours a week doing that and 10 hours a week doing real work. And that's where that you have to start looking out for that kind of balance shift. If we repeatedly go above and beyond for our boss or our colleagues, Will they expect us to keep doing it? You know, does it set expectations too high? What do you find in your research? Does it become a pattern people can't get out of? Absolutely. And I think this is where things start to get dangerous. There's a little bit of a people-pleasing creep that happens. Your boss says, I just need some last-minute help with this one thing. You step in. You become known as a very reliable people-pleaser. And so they know that if they really need something done in a crunch, they can come to you And then that becomes a crutch. They just need you to get all of these things done. Where this gets dangerous is when you're doing a whole bunch of work that you're not being paid for and you're not actually getting credit for. And I think you do want to be very careful of that dynamic between yourself and your boss in the same way that you don't want to get into that relationship with your child or with your spouse, where they're constantly relying on you to kind of step in and and do every little thing for them, fill in those gaps to make their lives easier all the time. Do you think a level of people-pleasing is necessary in some jobs? I'm thinking about client-facing roles and professional services where you really have to please the client. There is absolutely a certain amount of people-pleasing in all of our workplaces. I think just saying my time is my own, I'm not going to help other people is really damning to you and your reputation at work. Reciprocity is probably the strongest norm we see at work. If you need help, you should be willing to give that help. But I think just kind of keeping track of the level of the people pleasing and the specific nature of the ask. So if clients are starting to go into kind of inappropriate asks that are outside the scope of work, then it's important for you to kind of set those boundaries early. Some of us are people pleasers because we're anxious, but some people pleasers are a bit more disingenuous, aren't they? Yeah, this is my favorite form of people pleasing. The uh, really disingenuous, I'm not a bleeding heart. I don't actually care about helping you, but I feel like this is transactional. That absolutely happens at work. And I think this is actually where we see people pleasing backfiring and hurting people's careers when it's clear that the only reason why they're doing it is to get ahead and they're not actually providing that much help. It's only visible help it's never kind of like the real kind that happens behind closed doors. And those types of people pleasers are usually easy to spot because they insist on getting public credit for every little thing they do to help out another person. Those are those kind of more Machiavellian people pleasers. I don't think it's a long-term strategy though, because we all hate them, don't we? 
Yeah, they're super irritating and it almost always backfires. It almost always makes the boss think this person is just going to be a massive pain. They're not going to do any real work. They're just going to do this public stuff and they're not actually performing very well. So I'm going to kind of take them out of that role and make them invisible again. Tessa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Trying to please our colleagues or our clients is a noble aim, but it's important to know how much is too much and where to set your boundaries. You build trust in a workplace by doing the stuff that matters. So doing things that look good, but are outside your remit, isn't necessarily a good long-term play. So stick to your guns and draw a line when you're too busy to do more. Protecting yourself in that way is a nice idea, but it's not always realistic. Sometimes you have to swallow your pride and do things you don't really want to do. Christine Bramskamp understands that better than most. She's the managing partner in London for the international law firm Jenna and Block. Lawyers work hard for their clients, pull long hours and get paid handsomely to do so. So I asked Christine, isn't people-pleasing just part of her job? When you're in the professional services industry, you cannot not be a people person. I think there may be a slight difference there, but invariably when you're a people person, you will work hard to make sure that the environment within which you'll be operating will be a pleasant environment. And sometimes that means that you need to bend a little bit to other people. So that is probably also a version of people pleasing. Yes. So I'm interested in in that distinction between people person and people pleasing. Could you expand on that? For me personally, in a law firm, as as a lawyer, you, you cannot do this job without building relationships. Your relationship with your client is an incredibly important one. And that needs to be built first before you can um, step away from the people pleasing, if you like, and, and give the messages that may not be well received. So there's always that level of trust building that is needed before you can pull away from the people pleasing. And people often talk about it in terms of setting boundaries, which must be quite pertinent in in your work. Are there boundaries when it comes to getting work done? You know, how do you set those for yourself? Well, again, you don't go into professional services if you're not flexible around boundaries. In an ideal world, a boundary doesn't have to be a negative but can be part and parcel of that whole team dynamics and the friendships that you build up by jointly working on something. I'd like to think that an awful lot of the boundary setting can be part of the relationship forming. And there needs to be an honesty up front as to what the expectations are of everyone that's involved in, again, just to the example, a particular case. Have you ever been pushed too far and just thought this person's not being reasonable? I'm just going to... Oh, yes, absolutely. And then I get terribly cross with myself when I don't set the line. Because I think there is part of us all that is only human in wanting to avoid Mm. conflict. Doesn't necessarily come natural to stand up for yourself. And so the worst thing that happens in those situations where you feel like someone is really crossing the boundary, your own personal boundary, whether you've expressed it or not, but someone who is either very aggressive in talking at you or aggressively working against what is the right thing to do, the right thing to do for the team. The worst thing that you can do to yourself is not standing up for yourself at that moment, but it's also incredibly difficult. We've talked about laying the foundations of a relationship to set the boundaries, but sometimes early relationships are hard. They're not easy. So what do you do when 
the early part of a relationship is difficult mm-hmm. and conflict-filled, but you have to people please to get to the next stage. Yes. Sometimes in that period of time, the best thing that you can do, both for yourself, because sometimes you have to bend yourself to the character of the person that you're dealing with, is be curious. To be really curious as to where they come from. They do come to you. And you just have to remember that that person comes to you with something that is really important. And you have to be open to the fact that that is A, making that person very anxious, and B, that person doesn't know you from Adam. So if you're just at the early stages where someone is trying to work with you on resolving something that is incredibly difficult in their life, you need to give them space to deal with their anxieties, build a trust with them so that they feel like they are in good hands. And that does sometimes involve more time, more energy than you may have, absolutely a level of people pleasing. And that again is a learning moment, I think, for the younger lawyers in a team to see how you build up that relationship because the work that you will be doing for the client or the organization will be incredibly important and meaningful. And it falls into a void unless you have a relationship. I wanted to talk a little bit about generational differences because you know, younger people often are very particular about their boundaries in a way that perhaps we weren't when we started work. How would you suggest to people listening to this that we navigate that in workplaces? An awful lot actually happens, I think, quite naturally in that there will be an element of we need to get this piece of work out by tomorrow. What will you be doing to get that done? And alongside of that will be, and I will be doing this. And for me to be able to do that, I need that from you. So there is an awful lot to be said, I think, for clarity, for being very straight shooting, for following through, and also for being understanding. Because the person on the other side of the table may say, well, actually, I have a hard deadline at five o'clock because I need to pick up my youngest child from nursery. Um, I don't have a partner who can do that for me. Can you hover for me for that period of time? And I think that flexibility can certainly exist in the workplace and should exist in the workplace, but it requires the groundwork again. And that is a two-way thing. But there should always be space for them to say, I cannot do this. And then the question is, but what can you do? And then if it's not enough, you can then be quite direct, I think, and quite clear in saying, well, that's not quite enough because that doesn't deliver me what I need by this time. So how are we going to do this? Do you think that older workers or managers could learn anything from the younger generation? I am absolutely certain that we can learn. And I find it fascinating to listen to a godson of mine who is in his mid to late 20s and who expects um, a very, very diet of work and learning something new year on year and has different expectations of what the work environment should do for him. I hope that also in return, he enjoys hearing from me that the benefits of building the relationships and whether you call that people-pleasing or building relationships or people management or being a people person, I think you should never underestimate the joy of of a good team and working in a good team that is well-functioning. And I think actually that when you listen to each other, that's the best outcome that you can go for. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Helping out your boss or your colleagues is great, but there's definitely a point at which it can become too much and get in the way of your own workplace goals. By all means, help your colleagues, but do it with boundaries. And if you're a manager, be really careful not to mislead your team members about what counts and what doesn't. If you're a manager, be really clear about what will help your employees get ahead. 
don't imply that doing extra work will help them get promoted, unless that's actually the case. This episode of Working It was produced by Misha Frankel-Duval and mixed by Jake Fielding. Manuela Saragossa is the executive producer and Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>